So tonight, we're obviously here to celebrate Good Friday. Uh, you know, there's a lot of conversation. I believe it was, I don't remember which one of my kids, one of them when they were really little, they asked me after, you know, a Good Friday service, they're like, why do you call it Good Friday? Like, we're, we're talking about death. That doesn't seem good. That seems sad. And it is on the surface until you know that Sunday's coming, right? But sometimes I think we get lost in the story. We get lost in the details of the Bible sometimes. I think we get so busy reading the same stories over and over and understanding the details of the stories that we we lose the impact and the meaning of them. I'm gonna give you a little bit of backstory of a few of the characters Uh, a few of the disciples and where they're at before the cross and what happened at the cross and after the cross. I spent a lot of time praying over direction tonight and I could have and I thought about and you know giving especially coming back from from Israel and you've got all this knowledge about all the details and all of the um, the the knowledge that would make me seem really smart if I preached on it tonight. And as I was wrestling through what does the Lord have for us tonight, I read this amazing quote, and it'll probably give you a spoiler alert for where we're going tonight. Um, Tanisha actually had it up on her Instagram. It's by uh, Rich Villados. I don't know who that is. Someone might, but anyways. So what it says, it says, being around Jesus doesn't automatically mean we are being formed by Jesus. I sat and I thought about that for a bit and he was talking specifically about Judas and how Judas had spent three years with Jesus, right? He had watched him do all the miracles, he had watched him do all of uh, the healings, he had watched this man literally turn water into wine, make fish appear out of nowhere, heal the blind, heal the, the lame. He had watched him do all of these things and yet proximity didn't save him, did it? See, because there's more, there's more to it. We can learn about the cross and what happened on the cross and we can know every detail. And I promise you there are those that are out there because I've had these conversations with them that know more about those details than anyone sitting in this room, but yet they still don't know Christ. Because the details and the proximity and the knowledge that we know isn't what saves us. Surrender to the cross is, amen? See, tonight, we're here reminding ourselves, reminding ourselves of what saves us. That there's this big world called atonement, and that is that, you know, Christ went and paid the price so that we don't have to. It goes all the way back to the beginning of time. You see it in Genesis, as soon as the fall of man, God says, I will make a plan to reconcile myself with you again. One that doesn't involve sacrifice over and over of you bringing lambs and you bringing these things and and shedding their blood. I'm going to rectify that. And everyone was waiting and waiting on this plan. 
It's interesting that there's all this imagery, all this knowledge that they would have known, right? They had all these practices of literally bringing a lamb and slaughtering it, and that's what paid the price. They knew that there was a blood covenant, right? That there had to be blood shed in order for their forgiveness, in order for their sins to be covered and have relationship with the Lord. They knew all that, yet they still thought their Messiah would come as an army major. It's interesting, right? They had all the knowledge, but yet they still had this internal thought process that said, but man, our world, what we see, the tangible, needs to look like conquering the tangible. Proximity isn't what saves us. Surrender is. The disciples, all of them, we read about it, and I'm not going to read all the scriptures, I'm just going to tell you, if you want to read the whole story from, from uh, the Passover all the way through the Holy, or the Holy Week, all the way to Passover, to uh, Good Friday, to Resurrection Sunday, Matthew 26 to 27, Mark 14 to 15, Luke 22 to 23, John 18 to 19, those are all the chapters But what do we learn about some of the disciples, all these 12 disciples that spent their whole time with Jesus? They spent three years side by side watching him do all of these things that many of us, I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes, you know, if if you you have those moments in your life, well, Jesus, if you just like showed up in front of me and did something, like, it'd be easier. Newsflash, it isn't. Because you still wrestle with humanity. You still wrestle with this internal that says, but I want what I want, and I really don't want to surrender my own control. And that's really what we see through this story. I've said it before, and you'll probably hear me say it again. The gospel is very simple, but it is not easy. Salvation is one of the simplest concepts to man. It's very easy to explain and to understand the logistics of, but it is the hardest decision. Why? Because there is a surrender that needs to happen. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Amen? If you're new here and you are wrestling with, especially after listening to me preach tonight, that it's worth it. I promise you it's worth it. But we do a disservice sometimes in presenting salvation as something that doesn't come with a cost, but it does. It's a really simple cost, but it's not an easy cost. See, all these disciples spent their years with Jesus, and they had different perspectives what do we see? We see Peter. Peter, you know, he sits with Jesus. We know when he, he tells Jesus, says, you know, you're all going to desert me. I'm going to the cross. You know what's interesting is that even though he told them, they still didn't believe him. Like Jesus, who just done all these miracles, actually told them, I'm going to die, and then I'll come back to life in three days. You would think that when he actually was going to die, that they'd be prepared and waiting for him to come back to life, but they still didn't think that way. Peter, Peter's sitting with them, and he, Jesus says, he says, you're all going to leave me. What does Peter say? Peter says, not me, Lord. I will follow you even to death. What did Peter do? 
We know that Jesus got arrested and went on the cross. Well, his initial reaction was to defend Jesus, right? Chop guy's ear off. Jesus heals him and says, wait a second. Like, you're missing the point here. I love Peter. You know, Peter just gives me hope. Because sometimes I... Uh, which isn't really great in both of my lines of work, but sometimes I shoot my mouth off and, you know, I, I say what I think a little too much and I feel like I relate to Peter in that way, you know, like just, you say it, you do it, and then after you're like, that was a bad idea. <laughs> just take a minute. Age is helping with that. Um, probably because there's enough consequences that you're like, okay, you need to slow down a little. Anyway, so Peter, Peter says, says all this. What happens? Jesus is on his way to the cross. Jesus has been beaten. He's been bruised. A lot of us have seen the movie, you know, The Passion. We've watched Chosen. We've seen these moments. We know the gruesome. We know the sad and the heaviness. All of those things that Christ did for us. Peter's response was to hide because he didn't understand. He was fearful. He was fearful. But you know what Peter also did? That when he heard that rooster crow, he wept, didn't he? He had this heart of repentance. He realized, oh, I made a mistake. He humbled himself. And then when he saw Jesus, he said, I'm all in. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did, but I am all in. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus gave him a purpose, and he became the father of the church. We contrast that to John. I just love John. I think there's a reason why John proclaims at the beginning of his book that John is the one that Jesus loved. I don't think Jesus actually loved him more than he loved any of the other ones, but I think John understood that truth right from the beginning. What do we see John? John is actually at the foot of the cross. I think he's the only disciple. I mean, they don't name any other disciples, but John is at the foot of the cross. And because of that surrendered heart, because of that heart that says, you are everything to me, and without you I am nothing, what does Jesus do? He entrusts him with probably the most important relationship in Jesus' life. He says, this is now your mother and this is now your son. Jesus' mom became John's adopted mom in that moment. Then we have our other character, and our story is Judas. And I want to take a little more time on Judas. Let's actually understand what has happened. We don't know when a heart change in Judas happened, but I'm going to propose what I think might happen. I'm saying that because I don't want anyone to go away from here and say this is gospel truth because it doesn't really say it in scripture. But I think that there is a reason why scripture lays things out the way that it does. So here's what happens. It's the week before Jesus is gonna go to the cross. They've come in, big triumphal entry, everyone's happy, everyone loves Jesus, it's great. Chief priests are upset, they're conspiring, we need to kill this guy or we need to do something to him. That's probably known. Then they're sitting and they're reclining at the table, and there's this beautiful moment that scripture talks about. It says this lady comes in, and she comes in with this uh, oil, this really expensive oil. And what does she do? She pours it all over Jesus. 
It's really expensive oil and it makes no sense. But she chooses to take it and pour it over Jesus. What do all the disciples say? All the disciples are like, what are you doing? This could have like done so much for ministry. This could have fed how many people? Like this, if we sold this oil, we could have done way more for it, way more with it. They have such a earthly perspective that they missed the beauty in the moment, right? Jesus brings them back to that beauty. What he says is he says, no, this is the, one, of the, one of the greatest things. This will be talked about for thousands of years. Why? Because she knew that even her most valuable earthly possession was nothing compared to Jesus' worth. But what happens to Judas? Judas. See, the rest of the disciples take the correction. They actually, you know, continue and all of that. But you know what happens directly after that story in Scripture? Jesus goes to sell him out. Or Judas goes to sell Jesus out. Interesting, right? Why? Because Judas may have to make a choice. And I think it's the choice that all of us need to make when we're confronted with the cross. Judas had to decide, am I willing to give up all of my earthly desires to follow this man? If it literally is gonna cost all of my money, am I willing to do that? If it's gonna cost all of my safety, am I willing to do that? If it's gonna cost all of the control that I think I need, am I willing to do that? I think Judas made his choice in that moment. He said, I don't want to surrender to that point. See, because Judas was in charge of the money. Clearly, he was good with money. Judas had to make a choice. I think in that moment, he recognized what he didn't know it was going to be the cross, but what the cross actually costs. Judas recognized in that moment that this was going to cost way more. It wasn't just going to be all miracles and healings, that there was going to be a cost to following this man. And it's the same cost that we're confronted with when we look at the gospel, when we look at the cross, that there's a cost to it. Is it worth it? Absolutely. But there's a cost of surrender. See, Peter had a heart posture after he realized he screwed up, and it was one of surrender. He came back and he repented. Do you know the, that I don't actually think Judas, we don't hear, we don't read that in scripture. I don't think Judas knew he was giving Jesus up to betrayed to be killed. We don't actually see that in scripture. We know he betrayed him. We know that he knew he was going to get him arrested, but I don't know if Judas actually knew what the gravity of his decision was. But he gave him up. What we learn is that at some point, Judas, I think, realized what was happening, and Judas was overcome with guilt. Those of us who've read the story would know this, right? Judas is overcome with guilt. And it, just like Peter was overcome with guilt, but in that moment, Peter chose repentance, and Judas chose control. See, Judas still said, you know what? I know what I did was wrong, but I also know that I'm not willing to surrender to him. And where did it end up? It ended up with Judas hung himself.
See, our Christian faith isn't about head knowledge, and it isn't about all the emotions. I'm sitting here, and I could have done that. You know, we could have talked about the grief that was at the cross, all of the guilt that comes along with knowing that our sin is the one that put him there. And that is real, and that is something that we should understand, and we should understand the gravity of. But all the head knowledge and all of the emotion mean nothing if we don't surrender in our hearts. See, we all want what John and Peter got. We all want purpose. We all want a plan. Right? We want God's miracles and his healings. We want God's uh, hands to be on our life. And God says, yes, you can have that. Here's the choice you have. I need you to surrender to the cross. Why? Because you don't get to live in the victory of Sunday without surrendering on Friday. Do you hear me? Don't think you get to live in the victory that comes with the risen Christ if you're not choosing to surrender to the cross on Friday. God has purpose for your life. And if you don't know him, we would love to chat with you. He has purpose and a plan for you. He has great things for you, but it's not going to look like earthly things. Amen? It's not going to look like all the riches of the world, and it's not going to look like everyone knows your name, but if you let him, they're sure going to know his name through you. Amen? See, the magic, the miracle, the beauty, the wonder of the cross is in a heart posture that we choose. It's in the decision that we make when we're confronted with it. See, true repentance is a change in direction. And if you've met Christ and your life hasn't changed, or it hasn't changed pretty drastically, I would propose that you may need to meet him for real. Because I promise you my life looks like nothing that it would if I didn't know him. A change in direction, the cross calls for repentance. You could do all the good things. You could try and do all the good works, but you will burn out. You will give up and you will stop if there isn't a repentant heart, one that says, I'm willing to give it all if you ask me to. See, something happened in Peter from before to after when he truly understood the cross and the victory that was coming. Peter was willing to be a martyr. At that point, he was willing to give it all up because he understood it. I'm going to call the worship team up. If you don't know Christ here tonight... If you don't know the miracle that happened on that cross, it's really simple to get to know who Jesus is. It's a simple prayer, right? It's like 
God, I know I've screwed up. I know that who I am and what I've done has put a separation between me and you. And God, I repent for that. And I surrender my life to you. Simplicity of the gospel. But know that there is a weight that comes with that, and it is a beautiful weight. You know that verse that says, you know, your burden is light, your, your, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. If you look at the Greek words, I'm sure most of you have heard me say it a million times before, it actually means purposeful and useful. And that's a very different thing. You, we still, there's still a burden. He doesn't say there isn't a burden, it's just it's my burden and it's gonna be useful. It's gonna have purpose behind it. And I don't know about you, but I want a life that has some purpose, amen? If you already know Christ, my challenge for you tonight before you leave, before we even get to Sunday, is I want you to actually take a moment and say, God, is there anything in my heart, is there anything in my life that I haven't given up, surrendered to you, I haven't given up control? He may not tell you to change much of anything. It's not like he might not tell you to go sell everything, that's not what I'm saying, but there is this heart posture that says, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. Because I believe that Sunday's coming. I believe that Sunday's coming for the church in North America, amen? I believe that God is stirring people to want to know him, amen? But my heart is grieved that the workers may be sleeping. Tonight, as we remember what the cross means, let's challenge ourselves and say, Am I asleep or am I awake? Have I surrendered at the foot of the cross so that we can see Sunday's victory? Let me pray for you and then I'm gonna explain a bit about communion. God, I just thank you for your church. I thank you that you loved us so deeply that you did send your son to die. God, I thank you that in that moment, the curtain was torn, that the separation between you and us was, re was restored. God, that that, that that connection was restored. God, I thank you. I thank you that you chose to go to the cross, that you chose to let men that you knew would betray you a couple days later sit and recline with you. And God, that's the invitation you give to us that no matter how many times we may screw up or turn away, that you still give that invitation to sit and recline at the table with you. God, I thank you for that. God, I pray that we would be people who, number one, know you, surrender to you, and are willing to go where you want to go so the victory comes. In your name, amen.